We thank you for your love for us. We thank you, God, for the church everywhere, in every country, in every state, in every city, as people gather to worship you, as people gather to hear the word, as people gather to put their eyes on you and to be reminded of your love for us. And within the the bigness of what you're doing and the bigness of your family, we're grateful for this part of it. And I'm grateful for how you've made New Life Lincoln Park and the DNA that makes this place what it is, the stories and the backgrounds, the experiences, the dreams, the hurts, all the different things that come in and make this church family what it is. I am so grateful to be a part of this place and what you're doing in this place. And God, I pray that you would prompt our hearts. I pray that you would give us a desire for you, a concern for one another. I pray that you would shatter our complacency. God, I pray that you would give us a hunger for who you are and what you're doing. I pray that you would start that even now this morning, God, as we open your word. I pray that you would speak, that you would let us see the reality of who you are, that you would encourage and challenge us. We ask these all in your name. Amen. Excuse me. Uh, Join me in Luke chapter 7 this morning. If you have a Bible or if you turn there or click there or I'll also have this this passage on the screen. If not, totally fine. We're starting a new series today called Different Jesus. Like Kale said earlier, just talking about the reality of who Jesus and what, who he was and who he is and how he works and our perception of him. Now to explain this and kind of get us started on this, I want to show you this picture that my daughter Bailey drew for me a few years ago. I asked her to draw a picture of me and this is what I got in return. As you can see, she nailed it. Uh, Quite generous though, much better looking than the live subject that she had to work with. I know that for some of you, it might be hard to believe that's not a real photo, but uh, that was the work that she presented to me. Now the idea of drawing someone is as old as drawing itself. Uh, you've probably had somebody draw you at some point, or you've drawn others, or um, had that kind of experience. In a similar fashion, many people have drawn pictures of Jesus. In fact, people have drawn portraits of Jesus or depicted Jesus throughout history and across all cultures. Just just as some different examples, here are different depictions of Jesus from different cultures. Here's a Southeastern European Jesus, a Japanese Jesus, a Chinese Jesus, a Russian Jesus, a Korean Jesus, an African Jesus, and a Native American Jesus. For every people group throughout time and space, there is a different picture of him. And because of that, so many have the exact same challenge that can be difficult to face, that the, the challenge that can be difficult for all of us to face. He more than likely did not look like you. He didn't look like any of us. But for many, it's more than just what he looks like. It's also, does he look relatable? That can I connect with him? Would, can I come to him? Can, can I relate to Jesus? And then we... So not just portraits of Jesus, but we get depictions of Jesus trying to make him more relatable. Sometimes these can border on the sacrilegious sometimes, but from trying to make Jesus relatable, we get depictions such as basketball Jesus or baseball playing Jesus, consoling Jesus, political Jesus, 
ripped Jesus. That, like I said, bordering on sacrilegious. Um, thumbs up Jesus. Working Jesus. Cartoon Jesus. Tatted Jesus. <laughs> that, that's disturbing. Everything from him laughing to him frowning and everything in between. But the truth of this is that following along with Depeche Mode and Johnny Cash, what people typically do is craft their own personal Jesus, more often trying to fit him into our image than anything else. Now, the reason why it's so important to think about this is that because for every depiction of Jesus, there are also different understandings and concepts about Jesus. It's not just how we see him, but how do we think about him. Not only can different people draw him to look like themselves, but we can also explain Jesus to be in line with our ideas, our expectations, and our comfort levels. Jesus was like this. Jesus acted like this. These things would have made Jesus upset. These things would have been really important to him, just like me. And of course, not all of the various depictions or explanations of Jesus are in sync with one another. And so contradictions and confusions and skewed perceptions come into play. And for people that really aren't into the Jesus thing or aren't, aren't really Jesus people, when you see some of the different depictions or you see some of the contradictory depictions or the skewed depictions... It's hard to really know how to navigate those and really who is he. But the truth is, this isn't anything new though. Confusion about Jesus goes all the way back even to his own time. The Gospel of Luke says that at one point, Jesus asked his own followers. In Luke 9, he says, Who do the crowds say that I am? And his followers answered him, John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others that one of the prophets of old has risen. All kinds of ideas, all kinds of stories about him while he was there. His number two guy, his cousin John, was unjustly jailed at one point, And while he was in jail, was hearing a lot of stories about Jesus, of different things that Jesus was doing. But while John was sitting in his cell and hearing these stories, the ideas that he was hearing and what he was thinking were a little in conflict with one another. And this is the passage I asked you to turn to in John, Luke 7. In verse 19, it says that John sent them to the Lord. John sent them, John sent his followers, some of his students, to the Lord to ask, are you the one who is to come or should we expect somebody else? Are you the one or should we expect someone different? When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to ask you. Okay, we just want you to know, Jesus, it's John asking us to ask you this question. Are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? It's like John is saying, I hear ideas about who you are and I have expectations of who you are. But should I keep going with these things or should I be looking to somebody else? And how much can some of us relate to that today? How relatable does that tension relate to some? I hear stories today about you, Jesus. I see the way Jesus people talk about you and how they act and how they connect with you, but is that really who you are? Should I be 
Is that you or should I be looking for somebody else? In fact, Jesus, I'm not really sure if what they're showing, to be honest, is something I'm interested in. And I'd rather look for another. Maybe that's where you're at. Maybe you're like, I don't know, is, is that really what Jesus is like? You see how some of the church can be. You see how people who live and act, who, how people live and act who say that they love Jesus, how they are, and you look at their lives and you look at things you've understood about Jesus and it's like, I don't know if these really line up. If that's how he is, I don't really know if that's something I want to go with. Maybe you're like John and life has thrown you a curveball of pain or unwanted changes or loss and it causes questions or doubts or uncertainty. How do you relate with that question? Is that you, Jesus? Or should we expect another? I think as we think through how we relate to it, I think it's encouraging how Jesus responds to the question. How he responds to John's question, to John's doubt, to John's uncertainty. Jesus doesn't scold John. He doesn't correct him. He doesn't condemn him. The text says, at that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. Jesus doesn't say anything. He just goes and does a bunch of miraculous stuff. He doesn't respond to John's question. He just goes and cures a bunch of people. The travelers are coming and saying, your cousin is seriously doubting. And Jesus doesn't say anything but other than maybe hold my wine. I mean, he turned water into wine at some point. I'm just joking. Go along with that. But after he does these things, he says to them, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. Because now it's not just a rumor. Now it's not just hearsay. You saw all of this go down. Yeah, John has heard some stories, but now you have seen some things that you can tell him about. And what is it that you have seen that you can tell him about? The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. John, don't go with the rumors. Come to the source. Don't go to the third-hand accounts. Come see the first-hand reality of how I'm working and how lives are being changed. And that still holds true for us today. There's the depictions and the rumors. There's the portrayals and the claims about Jesus that are out there and rampant. And then there is what we see in the Bible as far as who he really is. When we open the scriptures, we see how different Jesus truly is compared to how he's often portrayed. We see a Jesus who defies expectations, who cuts through preconceived ideas and transcends any small portrayals that people can attempt to present him as. In fact, I would say that some of the ideas that, that about Jesus that we'd say, you know what, I don't know, I think I'd rather look for another. I don't know if that's something I would be interested in. I think Jesus would say, good, reject that because that's not who I am. That thing that you're like, I don't know if I should really want to go with that. Maybe I'll look for another. Jesus would say, yes, please don't go with that. Look for another. Come find me. Because what you're seeing isn't who I am. 
This, I want you to know who I really am, what I'm really like, what I've really taught, and how much I truly love you. So for everyone here, when we think about that idea, we think about that coming to the source and the truth of who Jesus is, we all need to be honest about our perceptions of Jesus. And more importantly, we also have to, also, well, we also have to think about where do those perceptions of Jesus come from? And the other story I mentioned where Jesus' disciples say that people are calling him John the Baptist or Elijah, Jesus follows up the question by saying, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And that's a question that we need to answer as well. Who do you say that he is? Is your perception of Jesus, is how you would answer that question, who do you say that I am? Is it based on third-hand accounts like John sitting in that cell? Is it based on depictions of Christians that get shown on TV for their pure clickbait reality and not a true representation of what the church is supposed to be or who Jesus is supposed to be? Is it based on maybe legitimate ignorance of just not knowing the truth of who Jesus is or not having been taught or shown the reality of who Jesus is in Scripture? I think that we need to be honest about our perceptions about Jesus if they're characters of him and not the reality of who he is. Am I just going based on rumor and third-hand account? Or have I come to Scripture to see the reality of Jesus? Is your perception of him based on third-hand stories? Does your perception of him come, though, from maybe bad first-hand experiences? Not just things that you've been heard or never been taught or talked about, but actual bad first-hand experiences that you've had. You've been on the receiving end of some Christians saying the stupidest of things. Or maybe you've been on the receiving end of them doing the most horrible of things. And if that's true about you, whether you're here or watching online, I am incredibly sorry. I make no excuse. That is not how it's supposed to be. Any negative or cynical perceptions of things that you have are understandable within that. And I am so sorry for how you've been treated and what you've experienced. In some ways, it's horrendous. It might even be downright evil in some situations. And I want you to know the reality that God hates those things as well. All I can ask is you don't reject Jesus because of how some of his followers have acted. Because the truth of the matter is, is that when you look at how they've acted or what they've said and go, it shouldn't be like this, I think Jesus would be behind you going, it should not be like this. That they're not the tr- following the truth of what he's taught. They're not representing him as he would want to be represented. And I am so sorry if your perception of Jesus comes through pain of how some of his kids have acted. And so I would just ask you to come to the source to be willing to give Jesus a try and see who he really is. Does your perception of him come from good firsthand experiences? Maybe your church experience has been a positive one. You've been encouraged from community. You've grown from discussions and conversations and sermons, interactions with people. You do your best to be a good follower of Jesus, whatever that looks like. And because of all of that, you feel comfortable and safe in your perception of Jesus. You like how you see Jesus. 
Well, I think we could definitely be secure in Jesus. We can be secure and we can find peace in Jesus. But we should also be challenged by who he is and the, person, the people that he calls us to be. I think the idea of being safe in my perception might not be the exact thing he's looking for me to do and to feel. He wants to challenge us of who we are. And that's why I think the last thing that John said, Jesus says to John's students is so important. He says, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Because here's the thing about John. He had genuine expectations about Jesus. He, Jesus is the Messiah. But for the Jewish world of that time, the idea of Messiah was supposed to be the Messiah is a conquering king who would come and clean house and abolish their political enemies. But Jesus wasn't doing any of that. And John is still in jail because of their political enemies. So when he says, was I wrong this whole time? His question is somewhat founded, but also not. And so Jesus going and performing miracles and performing the healing miracles that he does, this is Jesus confirming that he is the Messiah. These miracles are the references that validate Jesus' resume, if you will. And what Jesus is saying to John is something that we all need to hear clearly. I am here to be who I am and to love and rescue the world, to be about my purposes, not to simply meet your expectations. Because the reality is sometimes people get turned off for Jesus because he's not meeting our expectations, but the expectations that we have is something Jesus might have never promised or never claimed to even be about. The truth about Jesus will penetrate our expectations, our ideas, our perceptions that we have about him and what life with him is like. The truth about Jesus may be hard for some of us to hear at times. It will be hard for all of us to hear at some point because it challenges who you are. It challenges your value system and your identity and how you go about life. We should be challenged. Pastor Tim Keller says that if your God never disagrees with you, you might be worshiping an idolized version of yourself. If you're always comfortable with Jesus and never challenged by Jesus, that's a problem. We need to be challenged to become more and more like him and be faithful to this life that we have with him. We, so we have to know that he will provide better than anyone that we can look to for help. He will give more joy than anyone else or anything else that we can look to for happiness. He will bring healing to your soul in a way that no one else can, in a way that you can't. But he will also shatter our preconceived ideas about who he is. He will challenge our complacency and apathy and selfishness. He will not identify with our political systems or our ideology, and he will gag at the idea of putting him and patriotism at the same level. He does not fit our labels. He will not bow to our categories, and he will not submit to our systems. He is going to challenge everything about you and the life this country presents because he wants you to find your identity in him and the kingdom that he offers. 
He is going to challenge everything that we hold dear for value and for purpose and for meaning because he wants you to realize that nothing on this world that we hold on to can give us those things. Only he can. When we surrender all that we are to Jesus, he gives us everything that our hearts truly desire. He is definitely going to challenge us, but you will be blessed. Your life will be as it should be if you don't stumble over the fact that he isn't interested in your expectations. He is interested in going beyond your expectations to what your heart truly craves and what we all truly need. Because everything that he is and everything that he gives is greater than any of our expectations anyway. The Bible, when we read these stories, the Bible doesn't tell us how John responded to this. It's just go tell John this and then we don't hear about that part of the story. But in the, in the story in chapter 9, when Jesus says, who do you say that I am? In that story, we do get an answer. In chapter 9, verse 20, it says, but what, what about you, Jesus asked, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, you are God's Messiah. You are the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the only one who can save humanity from itself. Who's the only one that can forgive us of our sins. He is the only one that can give us the life that we crave. Excuse me, and that's the good news. That's the gospel. In 1 Corinthians 15, it says this, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried, he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And he appeared to Cephas and then I and the twelve. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. That's the gospel. That's the good news about Jesus, that he came to live a perfect life to go to the cross so that our sins could be put on himself and all that makes him who he is put on us. That he can raise from the dead, conquering sin, conquering death, and inviting us to live, be truly alive in him. That's the good news. And it means we can't turn to anything else. It means we can't find that in anything else. And that's what we stumble over. Because we'd much rather be our own Lord. We'd much rather look to other people. We'd much rather do our own thing than to trust him, to find life in him. But Jesus says, blessed in the one who doesn't stumble, who doesn't stumble over their own expectations, but comes to him. You know, I had a conversation with somebody a while ago just about where they're at with God and where they're at. Who, do you, who is Jesus to you? And I'm done with him. I'm done with this. I don't want any more of this anymore. I'm going to do my own thing. A year later, their life isn't any better. In fact, their mental health is in the toilet. They're really struggling. The idea of doing it on their own hasn't helped them at all. And not that that is the same story for every single person, but the reality is, is that when we try to go it on our own, it doesn't change anything. And if the pandemic over the last year has showed us anything, it's how desperately we need Jesus. Because the things that we hold on to, the things that we value, the plans that we have are not reliable and are not certain. But the one thing that is, is Christ. 
of Jesus and his love and the life that he provides for us, the life that he offers us, the hope and the joy and the peace which he will give. And so who do you say that he is? Is he Lord of your life? Is he the one that you find life in? Or is he something else? It's only when we trust in him and make him Lord of our life do we get everything that our heart is craving. When we think about seeing a different Jesus, different than what our culture presents, different than maybe other ideas that we've had, coming to the scriptures and seeing who he really is. We're going to be talking about this more and more in the weeks to come, but I want to end today with asking you three questions. The first one is, what has your perception of Jesus been? How have you thought about him? And why have you thought that? Is it that he was a good guy, he was this person in history, he taught a lot of things and helped a lot of people, or is it more than that? And why do you think that? Why do you have, maybe have a negative view on him, or why do you have a smaller view of him? I think we need to be honest about those things, but then at the same time we need to ask this question, in what ways has your perception been possibly skewed? How does it need to be challenged? Are you willing to allow Jesus to show you his real self? Can you be open to the idea that how you've been presented to Jesus, that he's more than that? That he was more than just a good teacher, more than just a great guy, more than just a religious leader, but that he was God here, present, who lived and then rose from the dead, conquering sin and death. Can you allow Jesus to introduce himself to you? Correct those ideas, not just for good information, but so that you can find life in him. Which leads to the most important question, who do you say Jesus is? And this goes beyond just perception of him. I'm not asking you for the information that you have in your head. I'm asking for the truth of your heart. Is he Lord of your life? Is he your savior? Is he the one who gives you life? Or is he something else? Because Jesus doesn't want to be minimal. He wants to be everything to you. He wants to give you life. But that only happens when you receive the life that he is offering. You have to put your faith in him. Romans tells us if we believe in our hearts and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, that we will be saved. It's not talking about just the information, it's talking about the condition of our hearts. Do I put my faith, do I align who I am, not with me, not with anything else, not with any other cultural idea or value, but with him. I acknowledge the reality that I need him, that his death on the cross is the only thing that takes care of my sin, it's the only thing that takes care of the brokenness that comes from sin. It's only in him that I can have life. Do you believe that? Is that true for what's in here? Because he's asked, I want to be so much more to you than just a concept, just a depiction, just a good guy, just somebody in history. He wants to be your Lord. He wants to give you life. He wants you to be part of his family. He's inviting you to that. You just have to come. And that's what's great, I think, about our situation and being distant from one another and what the last year has showed us is you don't have to come to me, you don't have to fill out a form, there's nothing that you 
have to do other than come to Jesus. And so if Jesus is pursuing you, you need to go to him. If you have questions about what that's like, if you have trying to figure this out, if maybe you know that that's something you need to do, we would love to help you with that. Again, not to convince you and not to say, here, sign on the line, but to answer questions that you have and maybe talk through some different things and just process what it means to trust the Lord. And so when service is over, we have that QR code back up, or if you're watching online, you can see it now. If you scan that and you the part that says need help, need prayer, fill that out and myself or one of our leaders will get back to you. We would love to pray with you, talk with you, answer any questions that you have because who we are in Jesus and that relationship with him is more important than anything else. We're going to end today by receiving communion together. If you're at home, I apologize for not reminding you about that at the beginning of the message, so if you've got to grab some stuff right now, uh, that's totally fine. Um, If you're here with us, uh, you received one of these when you came in, and while our friends at home are getting their stuff, let me just give you a little bit of direction here if you've never used one of these. There's two um, seals on this, a clear one. If you peel the clear one off first to take the little cracker wafer thing out, and then when you're ready to take the juice, then pull the silver one off. If you pull them both off at the same time, it's going to be a mess. Um, one of the things that we always do before receiving communion is just take a moment of quiet before the Lord. Meditate on what we've heard from his word. Allow God to speak to our hearts. Maybe you need to communicate with him and be thankful for something or confess something. Just open your heart to him. We always want to make space before we come to communion to allow God to speak and just be in his presence. And if if you, know, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you don't need to do communion. Communion is for those who have a relationship with Jesus. If you don't have that relationship with him, use this time. Allow God to speak to your heart. Ask yourself that question, who is Jesus? Why do you think that? Maybe even use this time to come to him. Let's just be quiet before him for a moment and then we'll receive communion together. So God, I pray that you would speak to our hearts in the quiet of the next minute or so, that you would say exactly the things that we need to hear. Let's be quiet before him.
stand with me? Let's pray together. God, we are so grateful for who you are. We're grateful for your love for us. We're grateful for the sacrifice which you made on our behalf. The way that you showed your love to us. We're grateful for God for the forgiveness of sins. We're grateful, God, that you conquered sin, that you conquered death, that you rose from the dead. God, I pray that you would forgive us for the times when we forget who we are in you. When we look to other things for value, for peace, and for meaning. God, I thank you that you welcome our questions, that you are gracious and merciful with our doubts. But God, help us to come to you, to run to you, to bring those things to you. We thank you that you invite our frailties, God, and you love us within them. God, I pray that you would help us to be honest about how we perceive you and that we would be open to you showing us yourself, reminding us who you are and who we are in you. We are so grateful for the cross. We acknowledge all these things and remember all these things in your name. Let's receive communion together. for your broken body, for your shed blood, for the empty tomb. We're thank you, thankful for the life that we have in you. In your name that we pray, amen. As we close today, we're going to do one final worship song, just reminding ourselves how Jesus is, wants, us, wants to be our life, that we would live our life in him and on him, that he would be our hope and our foundation. So in that, let's close with this song together.